Well, thank you, Brad. Um, it has been really a, a fascinating uh, conference for me. I've been keeping a list of takeaways back there, most of which will find their way into one of my future messages. That's where I get all my material is from great speakers like the ones we've had here. Uh, but uh, one of my best takeaways was your uh, illustration in the opening session about how when your kids say, Daddy, there's a monster under the bed, you go, yeah, there probably is. And I love that. And that's, uh, that's essentially what this uh, message is all about and this topic of the spirit of the Antichrist that uh, I've been uh, working on in earnest uh, for two years. We first put out a DVD series, uh, which is now a streaming video series, and then uh, March 21st of this year, we published uh, volume one of a book on the subject, but it really is the culmination of about uh, you know, 15 years of really going down the rabbit hole and discovering uh, the details about uh, the Luciferian conspiracy, which I will define for you in just a moment. But it's been an honor uh, to share the platform with a lot of these esteemed academicians. You know, I, uh, I spent 12 years in academia, but it's been more than 10 years since I worked full-time in a college or a seminary. And I, I really feel like some of the intellectual sharpness has worn off. And I've been uh, sitting here listening to some of the big $5 words like inscrutable that Brad just mentioned. I'll have to look that one up later. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I fear some of that sharpness has worn off. And if I needed any uh, encouragement that that's the case, uh, when I was leaving to come up here for this conference, as I walked out the door, my wife said to me, now, honey, remember, don't try to be too theological or too deep or too intellectual. Just be yourself. So I wasn't really sure what, uh, how, how quite to take that. But, uh, but uh, yeah, some of these words are, are uh, $5 words, uh, to be sure. It reminds me of the... Um, I'm going to get to the message in a minute, but my mind just keeps going to all these, all these stories. Uh, uh, it reminds me of the uh, business meeting at the local Baptist church where uh, they had uh, considerable discussion, an animated discussion, over the proposed purchase of a new chandelier for the church auditorium. And after a while of, of this back and forth and everybody getting upset and talking pro and con and whatnot, an older gentleman in the back stood up and said, let me tell you something. I'm against this for three reasons. He said, first of all, there aren't 10 people in this room who even know what a chandelier is. And he said, secondly, no one here can even spell the word chandelier. And he said, in the third place, what we really need is a new light fixture. So, um, so, so that's kind of how I felt with all these chandelier, uh, chandelier words. But uh, I, I have to say one quick word to Matt with, uh, and I guess, uh, 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 Jacob also with your uh, Broncos allegiance, which is always troubling to me um, as, as a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, but anyway, I don't know if you heard, but the Denver Emergency uh, Management System just issued a new statement, very important for you guys to know this. They said uh, if, if in the event that there's a tornado in the Denver metro area, everybody should head down to Empower Mile High Stadium because uh, there hadn't been a touchdown there in years. But uh, <clears throat> All right, with that, I think we better pray, and, uh, and we'll get started. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today, Lord, with these great uh, men of God and these great people of God, Lord. Uh, what a blessing it's been to just review uh, your word and the teaching from your word on this important subject of angels and demons. And uh, today, as we close out this conference, we just pray that you'd give us clarity of thought and clearness of mind as we begin to connect some dots that, frankly... Uh, don't get connected very often in 
a lot of Christian circles. And so uh, give us wisdom and discernment, and I pray that you would uh, use this time uh, just to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Ralph Epperson is a name you probably need to know. He wrote uh, uh, the book, uh, The Unseen Hand. He also wrote a book called The New World Order. Uh, but uh, he's from the 70s, I think. Uh, but he refers to what he calls, he was a believer, and he refers to what he calls the conspiratorial view of history. And uh, that's what I want to talk about, uh, you know, in this, uh, in this closing session. Now, I'm going to basically just kind of give some high-level overviews of the, the general uh, premise of this study. Uh, as Brad has mentioned, our book is available if you find this piques your interest and you'd like to study it more in depth. I uh, certainly encourage you to check that out. Uh, you can also go to spiritoftheantichrist.org after you leave the conference or if you're watching on the live stream. And there you'll be able to read the preface, the entire preface of the book, and see the table of contents just to kind of give you an idea. Uh, it's an extensive book, 300 pages. Uh, it's got 38 pages of bibliographic citations, so I encourage you to do your own research. Don't just assume uh, that uh, what I'm saying is true. I mean, I'm sure it's true. If I didn't think it was true, I wouldn't have put it in the book. Uh, but I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to study it uh, for yourself. But what is the premise? What do we mean by Spirit of the Antichrist, the Gathering Cloud of Deception? And the subtitle for this session that I've chose to kind of zero in on in light of our conference theme is Satan, the Antichrist, and the Grand Conspiracy. Uh, and the Bible warns us in 1 John chapter 2, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist, capital A, is coming, even now many Antichrists, little a, have come, by which we know uh, it is the last uh, hour. Um, and then he goes on uh, to say in 1 John 4, 3, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, again capital A, which you have heard was coming and now is already in uh, the world. So I got to thinking about the Antichrist, and one of my passions is the study of the end times, or eschatology is the technical term for that, as one of the speakers mentioned the classic categories of systematic theology earlier in the conference. And I love eschatology. I grew up studying it. My grandfather had a great interest in it. He was a pastor, and my dad's a solid believer who always liked to talk about the end times. And so I kind of really cut my teeth in biblical doctrine on the subject of eschatology. And so I did some research, and I've taught eschatology for years, but I did some real focused research on the Antichrist. And I looked at all of the key passages, and I came up with a comprehensive, at least as comprehensive as I could find, list of the characteristics of the future Antichrist who will be ruling the world and at the behest of Satan for seven years prior to the return of Christ after uh, the rapture of the church. It's that period of time we call the 70th week of Daniel or the tribulation period, also called uh, the overflowing scourge or the time of Jacob's trouble or just the tribulation. Um, and I came up with this list of things that will characterize him from all the key passages in Scripture. And then I collated them down to seven primary categories. And then I went to this uh, verse. And if we learn that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world, then it follows the closer we get to God's end times program, the more of an uptick we ought to see in those types of characteristics. In other words, there are many Antichrists out there. Uh, they ought to mimic the spirit of the Antichrist. And so I came up with seven broad categories, and then I began to look at current events. And uh, not surprisingly, I discovered that indeed there is an incredible uptick 
in some of these types of evil characteristics that will so dominate in that final seven-year period before the return of Christ. We should not be surprised at this. Paul said in 2 Timothy, the last letter that he wrote, that evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, sometimes people have the impression, basically because of uh, the satanic Darwinian teaching that has infiltrated uh, our worldview over the last 150 years in particular, that things are getting better and better, and that man is getting better and better, and man is getting smarter and smarter, and that we, you know, millions of years ago evolved from a wet rock, crawled out of a cave, eventually learned how to communicate, and then got better and better and smarter and smarter. That's not the biblical record. The biblical record is we were created in the image of God, and because of the corruption of sin, we've been getting worse and worse. Depravity is a degenerative disease. It does not get better with time. It does not self-correct. And so uh, as we look at the world around us, especially since the beginning of the church age, the last 2,000 years, Paul says, and he said this in 67 AD, by the way, that things are getting worse and worse. Well, here we are almost 2,000 years later. Just imagine how how bad they are. In 2 Thessalonians, in his passage about the Antichrist, Paul put it this way, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So once again, we see that Satan has a plan. Ever since he got kicked out of heaven, he's been trying to take over the world for himself. He wants to usurp God's authority. He hates control. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And so he's been trying to have this kingdom for himself. And that spirit of the Antichrist who will be empowered by Satan one day, is already at work. It's what Paul called the mystery of lawlessness. I want to go back to verse 218 where we began in 1 John. And that phrase, the last hour. Uh, it is the last hour. And we need to understand key biblical terms and the distinction between the last days, or in this case the last hour, and the end times. So if you look at uh, a basic end times chart, uh, and, and these charts are all in our chart book back there, but the present church age is what the Bible calls the last days. So sometimes people use the phrase last days and end times interchangeably. That's not correct. The end times refers to that roughly 16% of the Bible that it constitutes unfulfilled prophecy. So it's often been said one-third of the Bible, roughly speaking, is prophecy. Half of that has not been fulfilled, so that means one-sixth of the Bible, or roughly 16%, awaits future fulfillment. And so 2 Peter 3 reminds us that in these last days, people are going to not have an appetite for studying Bible prophecy. They're going to shun it, ignore it, even mock those who teach it. I call those churches the 84% club because by not teaching the whole counsel of God and not teaching the end times, they're only teaching 84% of the Bible. 16% is a pretty significant amount. For me, I like to teach as best I can the whole counsel of God. I don't think we should just preach 84%. But the, the last days is the present church age. We could look at several passages, but just to give you one proof text, uh, in the book of Hebrews, the writer says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Uh, there are several other passages that use the term last days to refer to this present age uh, as well. And that, again, if you look at a panoramic view of God's plan of the ages, shouldn't surprise us, because if you, if you see God's plan of the ages, you find out here we are in the church age, or the last days, as Scripture calls it, and that indeed is the last age prior to the culmination of all things in the coming Messianic kingdom. So there's really only one age to come. Obviously, there's a transitional time, the, the, the completion of that 490-year plan that God gave to Daniel uh, some 500 years before Christ. Uh, but ultimately, the final age is the culmination 
uh, of all things. When the King of kings and Lord of lords comes and takes the throne, rules in perfect peace and righteousness and justice with a rod of iron. And the Bible has essentially come full circle uh, after the millennial phase of the kingdom. When you get into, if you go back to my chart here, get into the eternal phase of the kingdom, uh, we see the Bible coming full circle back to a pre-fall Edenic state. Uh, so it shouldn't surprise us that this is called the last days. But what do we mean by the phrase end times? Well, the end times refers to everything beginning with the rapture and going all the way through the new heavens and the new earth. It's that 16% that awaits uh, future uh, fulfillment. So as we read Scripture, we find out that in these last days, perilous times will come. Uh, again, that's not talking about the last of the last days. That's talking about the church age. So we might read that this way. In the church age, perilous times will come. And indeed, they're getting worse and worse. So obviously, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, but the manifestations of evil, the blatantness of evil, uh, is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think we're experiencing those perilous times in our day. So again, it's the last hour, and we're talking about right now, today, the present age. And one Antichrist is coming. Now, let's take a moment just to review the Antichrist, because he is the pivotal human in, 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 in human history that's going to try to be a tool of Satan to, to overcome Christ in this final battle. Uh, there are only two times in human history, according to the biblical record, when Satan himself, as we learned, the prince of demons, uh, and as a demon, only two times in the biblical record that Satan himself indwells a human being. He indwelt Judas in connection with the first advent of Christ, and he's going to indwell the Antichrist in connection with the second coming of Christ. In other words, both times, God put on human flesh, came to Satan's backyard, to his territory, and Satan at that moment said, I've got him right where I want him. I'm not going to delegate this to my legion of demons. I'm going to take this opportunity right now to handle this one myself. I'm not going to leave it to chance. I can't trust my minions. I'm going to handle this one. And so he thought he had defeated Christ when, through Judas, he betrayed Christ and led to the crucifixion. But, of course, three days later, he shrieked in horror as he realized that Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave. But the second time around, I believe, uh, when he sees the rapture, he'll know that we've entered the end times, and he'll know that uh, his time is very short. And so at that moment, I believe he's going to indwell the Antichrist, and the Antichrist will essentially be serving uh, under the behest uh, of Satan. So this Antichrist gets a lot of attention in Scripture, this future man of sin. So let's take a moment to, as I did, kind of review just a few of the high points about him. It's the Greek word antichristos, antichristos. It's actually that word only used five times in the Greek New Testament. And if you look it up in, in a variety of lexicons, it essentially has two nuances. In the first place, it means false Christ, that is, one who takes the place of Christ and demands worship. Uh, Satan is very ambitious. But in the second place, it means against Christ, that is, the one who hates Christ and wants to kill him. The future Antichrist will be both. As uh, the great William R. Newell so eloquently put it, all satanic activities are carried out under the double motive of ambition to rule and be worshipped and hatred toward the one whom God has chosen to take the kingdom Satan has usurped. William R. Newell, of course, pastored uh, the great uh, uh, church in uh, Chicago, and, and uh, he, he was invited to assist R.A. Torrey in, in uh, supervising that institute, Moody Bible Institute. He also wrote uh, the great uh, hymn, At Calvary, 
which uh, not by works, you know, we're passionate about the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. And that hymn puts it so beautifully. Mercy there was great and grace was free. There my pardon soul found liberty. And then I can't remember the rest. But anyway, uh, he also wrote a number of verse-by-verse -verse commentaries. But he's spot on right here when he talks about the double motive of ambition to rule and be worshipped, to be God, essentially, and hatred toward the one whom God has chosen to be uh, the real king. Uh, so several key Antichrist passages here, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, obviously 2 Thess 2, Revelation 13 is where we get a number of key characteristics uh, of the Antichrist. He's variously referred to in Scripture as the little horn, the prince that shall come, the willful king, the desolator, or the one who makes desolation, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one, the beast, that's the term for him uh, in uh, the fall in the uh, book of Revelation. Uh, so the book of Revelation, of course, speaks during that seven-year tyrannical rule of the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Um, so they will be the ones ruling at that time. Uh, and then, of course, the beast out of the sea. And so, again, the premise is uh, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, but is now already in the world. So do we see evidence uh, of Satan's many minions that are characteristic of the types of things that will essentially characterize the Antichrist in the future. We know that in this present age, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Paul, as I said, mentions the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So if one of the ways we know we're living in the last age prior to the return of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom is the fact that the, this uptick in activity, satanic activity, is getting worse and worse and worse. So where will the Antichrist's power come from? Uh, again, going back to Paul's discussion in 2 Thess 2, it's going to be according to the working of Satan. Uh, Revelation tells us they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. The dragon, of course, we know from chapter 12 of Revelation is Satan, and uh, the beast, as I mentioned, is the Antichrist. So if we really want to understand the Antichrist, and by extension the spirit of Antichrist that's already at work in our world today, we need to, to know a little bit about the prince of demons himself, Satan, uh, the great uh, deceiver. Uh, so Jesus said very clearly that uh, Satan does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So that's why I subtitled the book, The, the Gathering Cloud of Deception. Uh, if, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.13, uh, uh, evil men and impostors will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, that's kind of a pretty dangerous combination because that means it's easier to deceive while at the same time being easier to be deceived. So deception uh, is unbelievable. And, and when I first woke up, and in the introduction to the book, I tell the story of how I really woke up to reality as it really exists, of course, through the lens of uh, Scripture. You know, that's, I think, what separates a lot of what we teach about from some of the other uh, conspiracy-minded teachers out there, is that, uh, you know, I'm a biblicist first and had already been studying uh, theology and teaching and so forth for many years before I, in a fateful conversation with a dear friend of mine at a Chinese food restaurant 15 years ago, uh, began to recognize that a lot of what I had been taught and learned uh, were simply not true. So I've written and spoken about for many years uh, this global deception that's sweeping the world, uh, and, and it's based on the Luciferian conspiracy talked about 
uh, in Scripture. So a lot of people might label me a conspiracy theorist, but what does that mean? It's funny, when you really look at the history of the term conspiracy theory, people really have no idea what that means. By the way, I, I don't believe in conspiracy theories except the ones that are true. And the Bible tells us some ones uh, that are true. So let's, let's take a moment to just talk about this concept of conspiracy. A conspiracy is an agreement between two or more people to commit a crime or, or do some other sinister, nefarious act. It's a plot. And so nothing unusual about a conspiracy. It's very common. In fact, about 75%, so I'm told, of all federal criminal prosecutions in the United States have the word conspiracy in the title. It's very common for two or more people to work together to commit a crime. And so if conspiracies don't exist and are merely the far-fetched machinations of the mentally ill, as the government suggests when they label people conspiracy theorists, then that would tell me there must be a ton of uh, mentally ill lawyers out there based on this uh, statistic, and uh, I mean, come to think of it, maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. By the way, do we have any lawyers in the group? No? Good. So I can tell a couple lawyer jokes. What's the difference between a lawyer and God? God doesn't think he's a lawyer. Uh, how many lawyers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Three. One to climb the ladder, one to shake it, and one to sue the ladder company. Uh, and then finally, one more. What's the difference between a jellyfish and a lawyer? Easy. One's a spineless, poisonous blob, and the other's a small sea creature. So the term, uh, the term conspiracy theory was actually created, this is on record, by the CIA in 1967. They wrote a dispatch which coined the term conspiracy theory, uh, and it was uh, labeled uh, PSYCH, P-S-Y-C-H, for psychological operations or disinformation. It was also stamped CS for the CIA's clandestine services unit. The document was brought to light by a Freedom of Information Act request, and originally, according to these internal documents, conspiracy theory was a weaponized phrase intended to discredit those who were questioning the Warren Commission report about the assassination of JFK. The truth was getting out, people were recognizing the facts didn't add up, and they said, we've got to do something to discredit all these truth seekers, so let's just call them conspiracy theorists. And this term has really stuck. It's actually, you, know, you can take classes in it in, in major universities. It's called a psycholinguistic tool for mimetic hegemony, meaning, a, meaning using memes like conspiracy theory to advance and further hegemony, dominance and control from the Luciferian elites. And yes, that's what they call themselves. Uh, uh, they, they consider themselves Luciferians. They think Lucifer is the hero. Uh, he's the protagonist in Genesis. God is the antagonist. Uh, and I give several quotes from their own writings that talk about that in the book. So the same psycholinguistic technique is being used today, and, and other examples uh, you know, over the last 50 years we can talk about as well. But today it's, it's used in the technique of fake news, that uh, you know, whenever they want to discredit someone, they just label them. It's, it's a logical fallacy because it's an ad hominem attack rather than dealing on the facts of the matter. But Cass Sunstein is a name you may be familiar with. He was the administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs during the Obama administration from 2009 to 2012. Um, he's also married to Samantha Power, or at least was last time I checked, who uh, was the former United States Ambassador to the United Nations. And uh, Sunstein is known for his research into, quote, linguistic thought control and subliminal indoctrination as a means of behavior modification. He promoted what is called the nudge theory. 
he created that term for the theory of behavior modification. And he said this in an article in the Journal of Political Philosophy, volume 17, number two, uh, in 2008. He said, what can government do about conspiracy theories? Well, we can readily imagine a series of possible responses. Number one, government might ban conspiracy theorizing. And number two, government might impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who disseminate such theories. Well, what did we just see happen? Our government, the Department of Homeland Security, creating a disinformation department. So they get to tell you what's true and what's not. He also uh, recommended and, and implemented a program of what he termed cognitive infiltration, in which paid government agents would infiltrate truth movements undercover and spread misinformation to discredit them, very similar to what the FBI did with COINTELPRO. So his book, uh, Conspiracy Theories and Other Dangerous Ideas, was published in 2014. And uh, so the next time someone calls you a conspiracy theorist, or perhaps if you use that term yourself, and I hope you stop using it, uh, you just need to remember you've been victimized by a massive psycholinguistic mind control program. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about uh, conspiracies. Uh, for example, the Greek word is pseudomasia, which means a plan for taking secret action against someone or some institution with the implication of an oath binding the conspirators, or a joint plan to devise a course of common action with a harmful or evil purpose. You see this word pseudomasia used, for example, in Acts 23 in reference uh, to Paul. When it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And then Luke tells us there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. But, you know, what does Luke know? He was just a conspiracy theorist, right? Uh, in uh, the uh, New Testament, we see other references where at, without using the word pseudomasia. Uh, for example, the uh, the uh, chief priests and scribes and elders assembled at the home of Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. That's a conspiracy. Or John 11, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Again, that's a conspiracy. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word kesher, and we see lots of references uh, to this uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm beginning to wonder if all these Old Testament prophets were just conspiracy theorists. For example, Jeremiah, a conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah. Or in 2 Kings, the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea. Or 2 Chronicles, uh, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. What about other ancient literature? Well, we see an interesting quote from Thucydides, 400 years before Christ, roughly. Uh, he was a Greek general and historian, most uh, well-known for his detailed history of the Peloponnesian War. He said, a conspiracy is, quote, a body of men leagued by oath for the putting down of democracy. Interesting. So conspiracies are nothing new. They're as old as time itself and date all the way back to the original conspiracy between Lucifer and his legion of uh, fallen angels who sought to overthrow God in heaven. He's now co-conspiring not only with demons, but also with human agents. A thousand years before Christ, King David spoke about this greatest conspiracy ever on planet Earth in Psalm 2. We know Psalm 2 is written by David because uh, in the book of Acts, it's referred to as a Davidic psalm uh, twice, uh, even though the psalm itself in the Hebrew scriptures is anonymous. But he says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? What are they plotting? They're conspiring. Uh, and what are they conspiring to do? To break the bonds of the Godhead, the Creator God, and cast away His cords. 
See, Satan has control issues. He wants to be in control. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be God. And so the kings of the earth, David tells us, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, Jesus Christ. And uh, so this is what I call the growing global rebellion. Are you watching it? Are you aware of what's happening globally as it's uh, unfurled before our very eyes? I, I talk about in my, ser my eight-part series, What in the World is Going On? I give a detailed uh, discussion of... Uh, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Uh, next weekend, I'll be speaking at the Mid-America Prophecy Conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And my two topics are uh, whose fingerprints are on the founding of America. I encourage you to watch that. It will be live streaming it, or I'll post it at our website. The second one is Russia, Ukraine, and the New World Order. What's really going on with Zelensky and Putin? People have no idea if you're only getting your news from uh, the mainstream media. But this growing global rebellion is unfolding with great intensity and great urgency. And I want to take a closer look at uh, David's psalm in Psalm 2 and just give you a quick uh, expositional outline of what is expounded upon there in Psalm 2, the, the role of Satan's earthly agents, the Luciferian elite, as they call themselves. So the first thing we see is the Luciferian plot. They want to break the bonds and take control of the universe. But then David goes on to explain the Lord's plan, uh, which he speaks of proleptically as if it's already in place uh, because the long-awaited prince is going to take the throne someday, Jesus Christ uh, himself. And then the lasting promise that ultimately faith is the victory. So um, the reason David could speak uh, as if this inauguration of the King of Kings, the, the Son of God Himself, had already happened is because the battle had already been won. We could go back to Genesis 3.15, the Protevangelium, where God promises early on that Christ, the seed of the woman, capital S, is going to bruise the head, that is, destroy Satan. Paul, at the end of Romans, says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Again, doesn't mean that it's going to happen in the next few days, but in the grand scheme of human history, it was going to be uh, happening shortly. And we read about this in the book of Revelation. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. When were the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet cast into the lake of fire? A thousand years earlier. And according to the Bible, they're still there being tormented. So don't let anyone try to convince you the Bible teaches annihilationism. Certainly not the case, uh, but the devil will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And Satan knows that that's God's word. He just doesn't believe it, but it angers him uh, to know that uh, God speaks, especially in Psalm 2, so emphatically of this being a done deal. It's, uh, you, know, you can try all you want to break the cords, but it's a, it's a done deal. Uh, so he knows the end of the story, Satan does, but he doesn't believe it. He thinks his plot will prevail against the Lord's plan, but it will not turn out uh, like he intends. Have you ever made a plan that didn't turn out like you intended? Maybe you spent weeks, even months, strategizing, organizing, planning, and you roll it out and it, it fails. <laughs> there are many famous examples of noteworthy failures. Maybe you remember some of these. Remember the old Sony Betamax? Uh, it was uh, lost the battle for market share to JVC's VHS technology and became the laughingstock of the video cassette industry. For you younger folks, a cassette was this thing that had tapes in it and you put it in a machine. But anyway, uh, what about this one? 
after testing a new recipe on 200,000 people and finding that people tended to prefer new Coke over the traditional version, Coke rolled out new Coke in 1985. But product loyalty and old-fashioned uh, habit and, and expectations got in the way and people just didn't flock to the new Coke like they expected. It ended up costing the, the company $4 million in development and a loss of $30 million in backstocked product that they couldn't sell. I wonder if that's still around. And if so, I wonder if you'd like to drink it. Probably not. But it was one of the most famous failures in history. Or what about this? I'm a Mac guy, like most Christians should be. But anyway, uh, the first Macintosh came out in 1983. It was called the Apple Lisa. It was the first desktop that had a mouse. It cost $10,000, which would be equivalent to $24,000 today, which is basically about the price of most MacBooks. But anyway, it had just one megabyte of RAM, uh, and consumers uh, weren't as interested as Apple anticipated, and it was a case of over-promising and under-delivering. Uh, the ads featured an early appearance of uh, an actor that became a Hollywood A-lister, Kevin Costner. And I, I thought this was so funny, I've, I've just got to play this actual ad, and then I'll comment on it after we're done, but it's only 60 seconds. But watch this ad and see if you can notice uh, Kevin Costner. So I don't even know where to begin <laughs> with that uh, commercial. Like most commercials, they tend to have nothing to do with the product. But I guess the point of the commercial is this. If you buy a Macintosh, you will, first of all, have a loyal dog as a pet who goes with you to work. You'll get up early and take a walk to work before you even have breakfast. Uh, I, I don't really know what they're saying, but they claim it's the most you know, productive computer. But I thought it was strange that the first computer that ever had a mouse, if you noticed, Kevin Costner is using his left hand on the mouse, even though the mouse was on the right hand of the desk. I guess it was so early people hadn't figured out how to use a mouse yet. But uh, what about this one? Uh, Brad, do you remember this one? No, you don't? Yeah, the, 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 the Edsel. Ford did extensive market research before it released the Edsel, even doing studies to make sure that it had the, uh, the right uh, personality. But by the time all of this research was done and the car was unveiled in 1957, Ford had missed its chance with its market, which had already moved on to buying compact cars, which did not include the Etzel, of course. And all of these examples show that Robert Burns was right. Do you, do you know the name Robert Burns? Robert Burns was a, was a Scottish poet and lyricist. He's widely regarded as the national poet of Scotland and celebrated worldwide. Burns' literary influence in the United States has uh, been seen in the choice by novelist John Steinbeck, 
for the title of his 1937 novel, Of Mice and Men, which is taken from a line in the second-to-last stanza of Burns's poem, To a Mouse. And here's what that line says. The best-laid schemes, O mice and men, gang aft aglay, or to translate into modern English, the best-laid plans of mice and men can still go, go wrong. And I think to paraphrase that quote, King David assures us in Psalm 2 that the best-laid plans of devils and demons will come to nothing. Satan is hard at work with the Luciferian plot, trying to overthrow God and break those bonds. But never forget, the Lord's plan is no match. Uh, the Luciferian plot is no match for the Lord's plan. So what is this Luciferian conspiracy that Scripture talks so much about and that we read in the annals of history from the Luciferians themselves? Well, it's basically three entities, Satan, demons, and human agents conspiring together to overthrow God and take the world for themselves. We've talked a lot uh, this weekend about the demonic component of that, the spiritual battle, this cosmic struggle, and Paul certainly warns about us in the passage we just looked at in the previous session that there's an unseen battle uh, taking place. That's why I began by referring to Ralph Epperson's The Unseen Hand. But of course Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the Luciferian plot has been raging for 6,000 years, and yes, a closer look at the founding of our great nation even confirms that. And that's what I'm going to be talking about next weekend uh, in uh, Tulsa. So for the remainder of my time, let's just look at a few manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist. Again, I go into much greater detail in the book, um, which is available at the resource table back there. We also have a corresponding 18-video, 14-hour DVD set. It's not nearly as detailed because I only had 45 minutes with each topic, uh, but if you're a visual learner or if you'd like to kind of watch it uh, on video format, uh, I might encourage you to check uh, that out. So as I looked at all the different manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist, the biggest one is the spirit of pretense. The spirit of pretense. Uh, what do we mean by pretense? Well, if you look up the English word, you find out it's a claim not supported by fact, a false show of something, a false or hypocritical profession. Basically, it's deception. And the number one characteristic of the future Antichrist will be deception. As Paul said, the lawless one, uh, the coming of the lawless one will be according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders. Remember, Jesus said he's a liar from the beginning. When he speaks, all he can do uh, is lie. He goes on to say, with all unrighteous deception, he will deceive the world. In Revelation, we see that he's the Antichrist is deceiving all those who dwell uh, on the earth. Manly P. Hall is that Satan-worshipping Canadian and 33rd degree Mason pointed out that there are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. So again, uh, that, this, this quote right here is the reason I chose uh, for the cover of my book, The Great Last Day's Deception, which came out in 2012 and was really my first entree into this subject a few years after I kind of began to uh, study it. Uh, but I chose uh, for the cover a marionette kind of with strings attached to key uh, areas of uh, influence. So one of the biggest tools of deception that Satan has used in our own country is uh, the mainstream uh, media. 
Uh, Operation Mockingbird is a large-scale program of the United States Central Intelligence Agency that began in the 1950s and was used to manipulate the thinking of Americans uh, for many purposes, uh, but to advance a nefarious agenda that was ultimately leading to one-world globalism, which, by the way, is not something new with Klaus Schwab or the World Economic Forum. He's been fighting hard for it his entire uh, career, and he was originally uh, funded and created by uh, Rockefeller and a couple other people from Harvard who handpicked him to start the World Economic Forum. So don't believe the normal mainstream narrative about how World Economic Forum was strictly a European agency. It wasn't. Uh, but this goes back way, you know, centuries, but, you know, certainly into the mid-19th century. And as I'm going to explain in Tulsa, uh, it goes all the way back to the 18th century with the uh, founding of uh, America. Uh, but anyway, uh, I want to show you a stunning video clip that exposes the reality of Mockingbird. Basically, they had thousands, it's still going today, by the way, don't let people tell you it's not. Uh, in, in this clip, we, I'm gonna, it's going to include a statement of former CIA Director George H.W. Bush, who admitted after the church committee hearings that, well, yeah, this has been going on, but for now on, we're going to keep doing it, but it's just going to be voluntary. We're not going to require our agents to do it, but if they want to be paid by NBC, CBS, Fox News, CNN, whoever, to, to, to promote our agenda, then uh, that's up to them. Um, but this is a stunning video that shows how local news stations have been co-opted by uh, the elites and, and are promoting a controlled state-run message. They're simply reading uh, a script. So this is about two and a half minutes. Just watch this. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 
This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. There is something about the way the CIA has been functioning that is casting a shadow on our historic position of freedom, and I feel we need to correct it. So in the book, I have a whole chapter on Operation Mockingbird, go into a lot greater detail, give quote after quote from the church committee hearings and from other you know, CIA uh, personnel and so forth. Uh, but I just encourage you to you know, do a search on uh, you know, Brave or DuckDuckGo or some other semi-private search engine for Operation Mockingbird. You'll see dozens of examples of what you just saw there, which is local stations reading a script and all parroting uh, the same thing. Uh, another thing that may come as a shock to some of you, especially if you grow up, grew up in the era of Walter Cronkite, is to recognize that Walter Cronkite is absolutely part of the Luciferian conspiracy. At the World Federation uh, meeting, uh, he, he uh, is, was being given a, uh, a award by the, you know, uh, as they're talking about the one world government that's coming. And uh, he, he starts referring to evangelical conservatives uh, who think that only Christ can preside over a one-world government, which we do believe that. That's what the Bible says. Uh, ultimately, it'll be uh, ruled over by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords himself. But listen to what uh, Cronkite says as he's receiving this award, this uh, short quote. Their leader, Pat Robertson, has written in a book a few years ago that we should have a world government, but only when the Messiah arrives. He wrote, any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be the work of the devil. Well, join me. I'm, I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. Yeah. Um, and then First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton, at the time this was during the Bill Clinton administration, uh, they pipe her in to congratulate him and listen to what she says. wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. Um, absolutely. That's what Operation Mockingbird was all about. And notice it was, he was receiving a world government's uh, uh, award there. Uh, William Casey, this was the quote you saw in the clip that I played. He was the director of Central Intelligence from 81 to 87 during the Reagan administration. Um, and uh, by the way, he died under very suspicious circumstances. Uh, you can uh, check that out. But notice what he said. We will know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American public believes is a lie. And here's uh, Richard uh, Salant, the uh, former president of CBS. Our job is to give people not what they want, but what we decide they ought to have. So really, the mass media has been a huge weapon of mass uh, deception. You know, my first full-time church 32 years ago after Wendy and I got married was uh, in a rural Midwest farming uh, community. And I learned a lot as a young man about farming because I would go out on the big John Deere uh, tractors and equipment and, 
and listened to the old timers talk about uh, farming and they talked a lot about the evolution of farm equipment. For example, I learned that in the old days, this is what a, a manure spreader looked like and then as uh, time, they were horse-drawn horse manure spreaders, but uh, these guys had lived in, during the evolution to more of an industrial type and so in the industrial age they kind of turned into something like this. But what I've come to realize is that modern manure spreaders look like this. And since we're talking about harmful poisons, we need to remember that uh, you need to, to fact-check. Uh, not, not the government-run, Luciferian-owned fact-checkers, if you, if you go back and look at who owns them, but your own fact-checking, as long as we still have access uh, to the Internet. So here's a few quotes um, from, uh, some, uh, in some cases, people that are exposing the Luciferian agenda, and in other cases, people who are promoting it. But Gary Allen said, we believe the picture painters of the mass media are artfully creating landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. David Rockefeller, in a speech before the Trilateral Commission, he said, we are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity over these years. Uh, maybe that's why uh, President Thomas Jefferson made the comment, people who don't read the newspapers know more than those who do, because it's more dangerous to be misinformed uh, than uninformed. It's astounding how many people blindly follow the mainstream narrative, even many Christians. Uh, Mark Twain said how easy it is to make people believe a lie and how hard it is to undo that work again. That's often paraphrased or misquoted as it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. That's kind of become uh, the catchphrase. I, I've used it often. Leonardo da Vinci famously said there are three classes of people. Those who see, those who see when they are shown, and those who don't see. If we're to have any hope against the rising tide of pretense that will only get worse uh, between now and the rapture, we've got to learn to study the facts for ourselves. Yet because most Christians uh, only have an appetite for chicken soup for the soul sound bites, most Christians are deceived about the way things really are. The 18th century British theologian William Paley uh, put it this way, there is a principle which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance, and that principle is contempt prior to examination. I've been uh, writing about and speaking about this issue long enough now that I've actually seen multiple examples of where early on I was censored or people would, uh, conference promoters after I would speak would cut out portions of my message that they thought were too far-fetched and, and when they would produce the DVDs uh, in the final production, uh, they wouldn't be in there. I remember one time someone had bought uh, one of my uh, DVDs, uh, this was years ago, and. They called uh, and said, uh, do, you have, you know, do, you, do you address such and such an issue in any of your materials? And I said, yeah, it's in this DVD. And they said, well, I have that, but I don't see it in there. I said, yeah, it's in there. And they said, well, where? Because I don't see it. Well, I actually called up my old PowerPoint and looked at it to see kind of where it falls. And I said, well, you remember when I talked about this? And they said, yeah, well, it's right after that. And she goes, it's not there. And then I discovered only then that, in fact, the conference coordinator, when I called him, had cut that part out. He's since come back and said, you know what? You were right. Uh, and it was uh, and it's and it's blatant on that particular 
uh, topic. So, uh, you know, Scripture uh, tells us that the works of the Lord are great and studied by all that have pleasure in them. So everything that we study obviously has to run through the grid of Scripture. This is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. This is the ultimate standard, the absolute uh, truth. But nevertheless, uh, you know, uh, Proverbs 15.30 says, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. And I think life can be a great teacher. And so uh, we understand, based on the biblical teaching, that there is a grand conspiracy involving Satan, demons, and human counterparts trying to uh, usher in the one world system. They've been hard at work for 6,000 years. We read about some of those Luciferians even in the Old Testament. And if they were sacrificing children and drinking blood back then, why are we to think that's not happening today? Did depravity take a break? Things getting better? Or worse yet, people tend to think intellectually they understand Stalin or Lenin or some of these Pol Pot or Mao, but somehow they think depravity stops at the beltway around Washington, D.C. But we've seen a lot of evidence lately that, in fact, uh, this is continuing to go on. Uh, Carl Sagan in his work, The Demon-Haunted World, uh, Science as a Candle in the Dark. Uh, Sagan was certainly not a, a believer, um, but he said, one of the saddest lessons of history is this, if we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe said, none are more helplessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Of course, the problem with deception is it leads to destruction. As Voltaire, another atheist, said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Just ask Hitler, whose mentor and hero was Charles Darwin. So Hitler was just living out a Darwinian ethic politically to get rid of the useless breathers and the people of color and the people that had a limp and said, we're not worth anything, let's just kill them. Um, we have a whole chapter on depopulation and the history of the eugenics uh, movement. Um, speaking of Hitler, he said, the principle which is quite true in itself is that in the big lie, there's always a certain force of credibility. This is another one of those quotes that has morphed over time to become the bigger the lie, the more easily it will be uh, believed. Uh, Vladimir Lenin said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. Eric Arthur Blair, better known by his pen name George Orwell, said it's an, in the age of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. So what do we see happening in our very day? Something that I'm sure many of you agree with me, we never thought we'd see in the United States of America in our day, and that is the, the squelching of free speech. At Not By Works, uh, we have had, and I actually have to update this because just yesterday I got another email from YouTube, a video that I had posted a year and a half ago. They just finally got around to banning. Um, but I've had now 10 videos banned from YouTube. We quit using YouTube about, about a year and a half ago. We still have hundreds, uh, probably more like a thousand videos on our channel. We haven't taken the channel down, but we quit using it because every time I would put something up, they would ban it. And then that would, I would be on two-week probation and couldn't post anything. So we went, uh, as Brad mentioned, to an, another uh, video service called Rumble, but we decided at great expense, by the way, to embed everything personally at notbyworks.org. It's the one-stop shop for everything we do, our podcasts, our videos, our devotionals, our writings, everything is there because we control that. Uh, I'm not going to ban myself, I don't think. Uh, my wife might ban some of the things I write. But, uh, uh, so, uh, but yeah, this is the, the age in which we're uh, living. Uh, 
if you don't tout the, the party line of uh, what I call the gender surrender movement, you know, by the way, uh, in, part, in volume two of the book, which is coming out in October, I'm going to have a whole chapter on that, but I believe it represents one of the most demonic attacks on, on the image of God and man ever. I mean, God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he created man male and female. That's, that's part and parcel of, of, of the, uh, God's divine design. And when you start, you know, doing like some states are doing now, which is providing state funding, and, and Biden actually has a, a proposed uh, legislation. I guess it's, he's not the one doing the legislation, but he's promoting federal funding that would allow what's called gender affirmation surgery, gen gender affirming surgery, which is when children as young as 13 decide, I want to be a boy, then the government will pay for you to chop off parts of your body that you no longer like and transition you into a different declared gender called gender affirming. Uh, and it's satanic because Satan wants to attack God. He wants to defeat God. And if male and female is the image of God and man, he's going to just do everything he can to absolutely destroy, to destroy that. So here are a few of the other topics uh, from the book, not all of them, but just to kind of let you know uh, what's uh, in there. Uh, false left-right paradigm. I talk a lot about that. The fake news, geoengineering, false flags, eugenics and depopulation, vaccines and big farmers, one of the biggest chapters in the book, and the uh, Hegelian dialectic. So uh, I guess the takeaway would be, uh, uh, and there's where you can see, uh, you can get the book if you're interested or you come back to the resource table. But I guess the takeaway would be this. There's a very real battle with a face and hands and feet and it has permeated every you know, echelon of society. And we can stick our heads in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist, but we need to be aware because if the Lord tarries is coming, you know, we may very well be living in a one-world system prior to the rapture. Read the Bible carefully. It never says the one-world system comes into play with the Antichrist. The Antichrist takes the helm of it. So there's nothing biblically that would preclude us from already being in that. And I've often told people at prophecy conferences, has it ever dawned on you that you might be raptured as a Chinese citizen? <laughs> you know, uh, some, one of the speakers was talking about what percentage of their life uh, what, what, you know, is of the whole human history. Well, I did a little calculating myself, and the United States of America is less than one half of 1% of the total 6,000 years of human history. And yet we've got this American exceptionalism and think it's all about America. If the Lord tarries is coming, and if America continues on this trajectory that the Luciferians are targeting, we, you can forget it. We're not going to be around much longer. And by the way, as I talk about in the book, that's exactly what the Luciferians have been trying to do, destroy America, because America is the one nation still standing in the way of the Luciferian kingdom, uh, because we have, you know, patriotic, Bible-believing, born-again Christian, gun-owning people. And so they've got to bring order out of chaos. They've got to destroy America to get us out of the way so that they can usher in the one-world system. So let me pray, and then I'll turn it back over to, uh, to Brad. Father, I thank you so much just for the comfort that we find in your word of knowing who wins in the end. And I thank you also for the comfort that we have in knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and how through simple faith alone in Christ alone, we can uh, be born again and have a relationship with you and be part of your family. And I pray if there's any within the sound of my voice today that don't know you, that uh, this information that we've disclosed and talked about would really drive them to the cross and help them recognize their need for a Savior and that they would simply 
uh, cry out in childlike faith, Lord Jesus, I trust in you and you alone as the only one who can forgive sin and give me the gift of eternal life. For those who already know you, Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen us, embolden us, help us to put on the whole armor of God as we've talked about and be prepared uh, for what lies ahead. Not scared, uh, but prepared uh, as your word prom- uh, tells us to, to be in Proverbs 22, 3. So, Lord, we uh, thank you for this conference. I pray that the seeds that were planted here would really take root and uh, build us up in the faith as we uh, study these topics. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.